Thanks for joining us for the Real Life Theology Podcast, hosted by Renew. In this episode, Matt Hessel discusses what it looks like to lead through difficult times. He looks back to the ancient Israelites and how they wandered in the desert and they had to go through a bunch of trials and tribulations before God brought them to the promised land. And even then, it wasn't smooth sailing. He gives encouragement to leaders today to stand firm in the faith, even in difficult times. So if you're in need of encouragement today, we just invite you to join in with us. Listen to what Matt has to say. Take in these words. Be able to really apply them to your life and your ministry. Well, good morning. Or actually, good afternoon. Gosh, it's afternoon. I'm on mountain time and I'm not quite adjusted yet, but yeah, it's it's morning somewhere. Anyway, well, my name is Matt Hessel. Uh, I am the lead pastor of LifeBridge Christian Church out in Boulder County, Colorado. We were just talking about hiking one particular mountain that stares at me every day and laughs at me because I haven't summited it yet. But one day we will. Um, my hope for today, my hope for today is just to give you something to think about. Just to give you something to think about, maybe a little bit of perspective and hopefully some encouragement, because right now, um, I think we all need encouragement. Is that fair to say? Especially if you're in any kind of leadership in the church, right? You all have seen the stats of what's going on with church leadership, especially over the last two years. And most of the stats say that, you know, we're not doing very well. If you're any form of church leadership at all, which all of us in this room are, I'm assuming so, you've also seen the shift in culture that's been pretty drastic Really, where we're at today, this didn't happen overnight. This has just been the trend line and the trajectory we've been on for quite a while. The last two years just sped it up. And now all of us are feeling it. Like you're, you're feeling the pressure like I am. And the pressure seems like it keeps building and building and building. Or the scenario seems a little bit more bleak. Or the obstacles keep adding up. Or the cancel threat is higher. Or the cost seems to be more and more expensive. It just feels like we're struggling. You know, We've all heard about the rise of the nuns. You've all heard about that. Gallup just released a poll recently that said 78% of Americans believe religion is losing its influence quickly. Another poll said that 80% of Americans believe in God, which is great, but only 20% believe that the Bible is God's word. Now, we know that that presents a serious problem because well, what God do you believe in, that 80%, if, if the Bible is not God's word? Truth seems to be attacked more and more and more along with sound theology. And some people that were standing next to us yesterday, now we look today and they're not, they're, they're not there. They're gone. Did they adopt progressive Christianity or did they just walk away from the church and their faith altogether? We don't know. Barna just released a lot of stats on burnout rates for pastors that are on unprecedented levels right now. I, I'm just scratching the surface. And, and the church, what we're told right now, when it comes to the church, we're told... We're not doing well. However, I think we're not getting the full story. I actually believe that right now, the greatest moments for the church in the United States are actually in front of us. But today, this moment in history right now, we're at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads today. Now, I don't have to tell you that we're all in a battle. right? Scripture is very, very clear on that. But battles are future-oriented. And what, what I mean by that is each battle is preparing you for the next one. And at the same time, the battles we fight today are going to affect what happens tomorrow. And if we avoid the right battles today, or if we fight the wrong ones, what's that going to cost us tomorrow? That's the crossroads that we're at right now. So the question we have to ask is, okay, which direction are we going to go? And what's at stake? Now, there's, there's two stories that actually speak to this in the Old Testament. They're, they're connected, but we never look at them like this. So the first story is actually in Numbers 13. It's when Moses sends the 12 spies into Canaan. Great story. 
You all know the story. I'm not going to read it to you. But Moses takes 12 guys and he says, hey, I want you to go spy out the land. Go check it out. See, see who's living there? What kind of force are we facing? I mean, are we going to be able to just steamroll these people? Or is this going to be legitimate opposition? What kind of cities do they have? Are they fortified? I mean, tell me what we're facing. On top of that, go look at the land. Like, what kind of land are we talking about? Is it going to be good for harvest? Are crops going to grow there? Is it going to be rough? Are there trees? Can we thrive off this land? And when you're there, hey, bring back some of the fruit that's actually growing there so we can see it. And when you go spy it out, he says, don't be afraid of whatever you see. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. So these 12 guys, they go. They go spy out the land. They, they get a good feel for the land. They get a good feel for the people that are, that are there. And they bring back some of the fruit. I, I love how Numbers describes this. It says they cut down a single cluster of grapes. Just one cluster of grapes. And it's so big, it has to be carried back on a pole by two grown men. Like, what kind of grapes are those? Seriously, I mean, those are softball-sized grapes. Like, we have never seen fruit like that before in our lives. Never, never have. And I'm guarantee, I'll guarantee you, they hadn't seen that kind of fruit either. That's what's there. I mean, pretty legit stuff. So these guys stay for 40 days. They're spying it out, and then they come back. They come back, and they meet with Moses. They meet with all the people, and they say, guys... The land is legit. It, I mean, it is nice. Look at this fruit. They bring out the nuclear grapes and everybody gets excited. Like the crowd gets pumped up and there's this buzz going out throughout the crowd and everyone's getting excited like, hey, this is it. This is the land. This is going to be awesome. But then 10 of these guys say, oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. Hold up, hold up, hold up. The, the people that are there, they're strong. There's their cities. I mean, they're legit. They are fortified to the nth degree. And on top of that, we saw some of the descendants of the giants there. Like, we can't fight these people. They're way too strong for us. These guys will clean us out. We can't go fight them. This can't be the place. And Caleb steps up. He was one of the 12 too. And Caleb says, wait, wait, wait a second. Let's go right now. What are we waiting for? That, let's, let's go take it out. Look at the fruit. Did you, did you see the grapes? Let's go take it out. God has led us here. This is the place. If God's leading us here, we'll overcome anything that's there. Love Caleb, right? Everybody loves Caleb. But at that point, people are starting to get freaked out. And now Israel is finding themselves right in the middle of a crossroads right here. This is a de defining moment for the people of Israel. Which way are they going to go? they got two roads to choose from. Which way can they go? The first road they can go is they can just back down. They can just, you know, we're not going to go there. We're going we're gonna to hide. We're going to back down from this. That's fine. We saw, man, we saw strong people there. They've got fortified cities. It's a huge opposition. And we saw giants. We can't go there. Even though they've already seen how God is going to take care of them, how God promised to do that, all they got to do is remember Egypt and the crazy stuff that God did in Egypt. Or they can just realize, well, he led us here, so this must be the place. They got all that evidence in front of them. But they see these battles that are going to come. They see this conflict and this opposition that's going to come for where God's leading them. They just choose to back down. Like what it came down to was their fear of those battles and that conflict was greater than their faith in God's power and God's promises. And we're in the exact same spot right now. I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like we're spying out the land that we already live in. Like maybe the land that we've grown up in. It feels like we're spying out our own land, and, and in a way we are because we've been kicked out of it. No longer are Christians with a biblical worldview in the majority. We are, we are now definitely 
the minority. So now we're starting to see things that maybe we really haven't realized before. We're starting to think, see things that not only oppose the gospel, not only oppose the church, but also oppose you as a leader. Whether that's wokeism or progressive Christianity or secularism or LGBTQ affirmation or cancel culture or whatever ism you want to throw out there. We're seeing all these things and man, it's like, man, should I just back down from this? There's so much opposition now I feel like I'm facing that I've never experienced before in my life. What, what do I do with this? And really, you got the same choices that the Israelites had in these 10 spies. You can do the same thing. Or you can back down. I can back down. We can just walk away. We can hide from this. And that's fine. Like as a church leader, all of the opposition that we're facing today, all the criticism, the canceling, you can avoid all of that. You absolutely can avoid criticism. You absolutely can avoid the ridicule. You can avoid the attacks that are coming. You can avoid being canceled. You can avoid any of the opposition that you're facing today and the stuff that's going to come tomorrow. You absolutely can avoid it. But at what cost? Like, what's it going to cost you? And what's it going to cost the church? Like, you're at where you're at right now for a reason. Like, you're not leading where you're leading coincidentally. The point in history that we find ourselves in, God has you here for a reason. You're not leading by accident. And he's using you right now to lead other people. But it's going to feel like at times, man, I just, I don't want to deal with this. The stuff I'm getting shot at from culture, from the media, even from people inside your church. Have you experienced that? Or am I the only one? You're going to feel opposition over and over again. And right now, sometimes it just, honestly, it feels like it's a little overwhelming. But you can go down the road the Israelites went down. You can do what the 10 spies did. But here's one of two things that are going to happen. Number one, you're going to miss out on some ridiculous fruit. They missed out on that fruit. Incredible fruit. You're going to miss out on fruit. Or the second thing that will happen if you back down or you walk away or you hide from the conflict that God led them to, that God, that God is leading us to. If we follow Jesus, there's going to be conflict. The second thing that will happen is you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. Like That's what happened right after this. God says, okay, you're not going to follow me? I brought you right here. I teed it up for you guys. It's, I told you literally exactly where to go. I told you I got you. I told you I would take care of you. I proved it. You remember the things I did to Pharaoh? I proved it. You're not willing to follow. Okay, you're going to wander in the desert. That's what happens. They wasted 40 years right after this in, in Numbers 13. 40 years. It's an entire generation lost. So as I'm thinking about this, obviously to me, I don't know about you, but to me, I don't have 40 years to waste. I can't wait four decades to lead. I can't wait four decades to lean into the ministry that God's called me to. But that's exactly what happens when we back down and we don't faithfully follow Jesus where he takes us, regardless of the conflict, regardless of the opposition that's going to come. We lose out on fruit and we lose an entire generation. If we do this right now, if we back down, and I'm leaving it high level on purpose in general because it's going to look different in all of our contexts. But if we do this right now, our kids are the ones that, that have to pay the price. Our grandkids, our great-grandkids, they're the ones that are going to pay for it. So I don't know your story. I don't know your scenario. I don't know your context. I don't know what's going on with you. But I'm guessing right now you're struggling with something, something that's discouraging you either in the world around you or what you're having to personally deal with. And maybe you're waking up certain days and you just feel like you're losing all the time. And I just wake up today and I wonder, what am I going to lose at today? Maybe you're even thinking about throwing in the towel. So my encouragement to you would be don't. Like, keep going. We need you. 
You may be struggling with something. I don't know what that is. You may be struggling with something, but you're leading well in other areas and God is impacting lives through you. And if you back down right now, when you feel like you're losing, when you feel like, man, this, this opposition, this conflict, it's too much. When you feel like you're failing as a leader or as a pastor, just remember this truth. Remember this truth. Any fool can be an authority when things are easy. Any fool can be an authority when things are easy. Right now, we need humble men and women with backbones and a deep commitment and love for Jesus to lead. Like We need people with Caleb's perspective right now. Let's go. We got it. God's going to overcome this. We can take this. Let's go. We need that right now. Your church needs you to have that perspective. The church in North America needs you to have that perspective, perspective. And you've got it in you. You absolutely have it in you. And when things get hard and when they, when they feel hard like they are right now, remember, right now is the best time, it's, the best time ever to be a leader in the church in the United States. Every leader from the past, every spiritual giant in our country's history, if they could, they would, be in, in, they would be here today. This is the best time we've ever had to lead. Best time. Times like these when it's hard, this is why we got into leadership in the church in the first place. Not when it's easy, but for stuff like this. And this is why we esteem people like Bonhoeffer and Jonathan Edwards and, and all these, Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, these giants of the faith, because they lived through hard times. Well, here's our chance. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the measure of a man is not where he stands in times of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. That's right now. It's right now. So how are we going to measure up? Now, um, I'm sure y'all have gone through some stuff over the last two, three years that's been difficult. Um, I have taken more shots in the last three years than I have in, in the rest of my entire life, both from inside and outside the church, which is friendly fire is far more painful. It's funny when you stand up for what, what, what God's word clearly says, even the people that claim to be on your side will take hits on you. That, that's not fun. You have them in your church too? Yeah, okay, good. I'm not the only one. But on the outside too, um, I live in one of the most liberal parts of the country. We are not a post-Christian area. I would say we're more of an anti-Christian area of the country. Northern Colorado is rough. But at the same time, I was actually talking to David about this earlier today. Um, if God's going to pull some kind of revival that we've never seen before in our lives, some fruit that we've never seen before, why would he not do it in a place like northern Colorado? This is one of the places that you would least expect it to happen. But last year, there was just, um, last summer was a really rough summer. It was kind of a breaking point for me. Uh, I'd been betrayed by a couple people that I've trusted, uh, stabbed in the back, getting shots from outside the church because, man, don't, don't ever say that marriage is between one man and one woman. That's, that's, that's going to get you shot at, right? But hey, I, I'm just the messenger. I'm not making it up. And I have to stand in front of Jesus one day and say what I said and what I taught. And I'm going to stand on that. And regardless of what comes, so be it. But it's painful at times. Um, trying to turn our church around in the middle of a pandemic that none of us have experienced. And last summer was just rough. And it kind of came to a head. Um, multiple battles, multiple conflicts had to lead through. And one day I'm, I'm meeting with a good friend of mine. And honestly, I was just complaining and whining to him. And he said something that changed my perspective entirely. He said, okay, what if God is asking you right now? Matt, what if God's saying to you, can you trust me with this struggle? Or can you thank me for trusting you with the struggle? Can you thank me for trusting you with the struggle? This is not my struggle, it's God's. But he's trusting me to steward it. And that shifted from complaining and woe is me to, 
Thank you. Okay, I do thank you. This is hard and it hurts. Tell me what to do. Guide me, give me wisdom, because I don't know. But you do. And where you lead, I'll follow. And if there's conflict, I'll follow. If there's opposition, I'll follow. Let's go. So can you thank God for trusting Him with the struggle that you're in? And the one that you're going to come and face tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that. And really, that's the second road we can go down. Instead of backing down, we can actually lean in. Yeah, they saw the giants. Yeah, they saw fortified cities. Yeah, they saw man op, uh, numbers that, that were way greater than their own. But they leaned in from that. And because of that, they saw fruit that they'd never seen before. That's what they missed out on. That's what we could see. Whenever there's great opposition and it meets great faith, God can bring great fruit. Like the kind of fruit that has to be carried back, grapes that have to be carried back on a pole. That's the opportunity that we have right now. We have an opportunity to see fruit in the church in the United States that none of us have seen in our lifetime before. None of us have seen this. You're probably going to have to go back to the Great Awakening in the mid-18th century to see the kind of fruit that's possible for us to see right now. It's possible. But that means we have to lean into the opposition and the conflict that's going to come when we follow Christ. We don't go looking for fights on our own. Like, don't be that guy. There's too many people that want to fight and just to fight. Don't be that guy. And don't go hide either. But don't be afraid for the conflict and the battles that are going to come. And we can see incredible fruit from that. I think the last few years have been um, a massive season of pruning in the United States, in the church. So much pruning. Pruning happens so that healthier and bigger growth can come, right? I've got a couple rose bushes in my, in my front yard that I ignored, didn't even pay attention to. Earlier this spring, I, I, I noticed they looked awful and just ugly. Not trying to save them or help them grow. I just, I mean, this is an eyesore. Let me prune these things up. Did, forgot about them. A month later, I go back out there. They doubled in size and had huge new rosebuds. That's what pruning does. That's what happened over the last two years. I've heard this from so many churches, and maybe this is the story of your church too. Um, so many churches around the country that have said, hey, we're seeing so many new people right now come to our church. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's exciting. Like That's been our story too. We, we keep hearing consistently over the last 18 months, hey, it's my first time at LifeBridge, and it's my first time in church, ever. I've never been to church before in my life. We're hearing that over and over and over again. We're a 131-year-old church. We're, we're an old church. Last year, in 2021, we saw the most baptisms we've had in the last 15 years. And that's as far back as we looked. We didn't look further back. This year, in 2022, we've had more baptisms than last year, and we got there by August. It's because people are hungry for the truth. They're hungry for it right now. They're listening. As, as the idols of, of secularism are starting to fall apart and as relativism, everyone's starting to see, well, this actually contradicts itself and it implodes on itself and humanism and all the promises that humanism brings, people are saying, no, this is fake and it's not living up to it. People are hungry for the truth. So the crossroads I think that we're at right now for the United States, the church in the United States, either we can go the way of the church in Europe and be a non-factor or we could be on the verge of another great awakening. I think those are our two options right now. We can't be afraid of the fights and the opposition and the conflict that's going to come. We, can't, we don't need to be afraid of secularism or humanism or relativism, whatever ism you want to throw out there. In fact, we should be excited about those things because that opposition is an opportunity. Because when great faith meets great opposition, that's when God brings great fruit. That's the truth the Israelites missed out on Numbers 13. We can't make the same mistake. David didn't. David didn't make that mistake. And this is where Numbers 13 is actually connected to 2 Samuel 21. 
So 2 Samuel 21 is really the end of David's military career. And in five verses, it says there's multiple battles. It says there was war again, and there was war again, and there was war again, and there was war again. Four times in five verses, battle after battle after battle after battle. And David won every single one of them. God gave David victory over and over again. But, but at some point in those five verses, I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh, all right, God, when's, when's enough? Can we, just be, can we just be done with this? Can you just end this? Can we move on? Can we just have some peace? Well, yeah, we can always have peace. But peace isn't the absence of conflict, right? Peace is the assurance that God wins the conflict. That's peace. And can there be an end to fighting? Can there be an end to the battles? No, not on this side of eternity. Every single battle that David fought, it prepared him for the next one. Because the next battle he fought was harder. So every single battle that you're facing right now, yeah, there's victory. All you have to do is be faithful and follow Jesus. The victory's already locked up. What he's doing with the battle then with you is to prepare you for the next one. Because the next one that you're going to face, the next conflict, the next level of opposition, it's going to be harder than the one you're in right now. That's what I've learned the last three years. And that's been true over and over again. The one I'm in today is going to get me ready for the one that's going to come down the road that's going to be harder. He's preparing you for what's next. David even talks about this at the end of 2 Samuel, or the next chapter in 22. He, says, God, he writes this song and he says, God, you train my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. That's awesome. I wish I could bend a bow of bronze. That's pretty cool. Verse 40 is the kicker. He says, for you equipped me with the strength for the battle. You equipped me with the strength for the battle. My, uh, battle. You made those who rise against me seek underneath me. Psalm 144 reiterates this. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. The battles that you're in right now is how God is shaping you for the ones that are going to come tomorrow. And more is going to come tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that. At the very end of this, this song, here's what David says. These four, the four different battles, these four giants were descendants from the giants in Gath. And they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So the descendants of the giants. It's the same giants the Israelites ran from in Numbers 13. The same ones. They ran and they lost an entire generation in the desert and they lost fruit that they never even could even imagine. David didn't though. He leaned in. He didn't go looking for the fight. He followed what God said to do. He followed the Lord and he fought those battles. And because David fought those battles, right after this, that's when God has doubled the kingdom. The kingdom was doubled under David's leadership because David followed the Lord and he didn't back down from the fight. That's the crossroads we're at right now. One road is going to take us down a road where we lose an entire generation and lose out on fruit that we've never seen before in our ministry lives. Or the other road that we can go down God can double the kingdom. That's where we're at today. And we get to pick which one we want to go down. Author James Clear says, Environment is the invisible hand that shapes human behavior, which means one of the most important things we can do to help people grow is to create environments that encourage and support the choices that lead to growth. I'm Abby Barris, a designer and ministry veteran, and I would love to help you create an environment that leads to both personal and organizational growth. You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more and to download your free guide to creating spaces designed for growth. David fought four different giants. What are the four giants that we've got to fight today?
Because I think we need to understand what we're facing so that we don't back down. Now, this list isn't exhaustive at all. This is just to give you something to think about. Martin Luther said, if I'm valiant for Christ all along the battle line, except for the point where the enemy is pressing his attack, then I'm not valiant for Christ. So where is the enemy pressing his attack right now? I think the first spot is the moral revolution battle that's going on right now. We are in the middle of another moral revolution. It's happening right now. Whether it's expressive individualism, which you're going to see everywhere in our culture today, where the the only way for you to truly be free is to do whatever you think, whatever feels right to you in the moment, regardless of any moral transcendent standard. The only way to be happy, the only ultimate good is for you to do what feels good to you. So God now is your feelings. That's expressive individualism. And and it looks different in in this moral revolution. We had the one in the 60s, the sexual revolution in the 60s. Now there's different parts of this moral revolution, whether it's abortion. You know, abortion used to be about the woman's right to choose. Now it's shifted and now it's more, you're an oppressor if you're pro-life. That's more of the that's more of the talking point today than it is right to choose. It's you're an oppressor. Or maybe it's marriage. Marriage could be whatever you want it to be now. This has been going on for a while now. But marriage, hey, homosexual or heterosexual, it doesn't matter. Or monogamy or polyamory, you, whatever you want it to be. Those are just two aspects of this moral revolution that are going on today. We Christians who have a biblical worldview, we do know that there is a moral transcendent standard that God has wired into every single human being. We all know it, whether we want to repress it or not. And then God clarifies that even more so in his word. We know that. And people who have a biblical worldview, in the past, we would have been considered on certain subjects or topics. People might have called us old-fashioned or wrong on certain things. Not anymore. Now, if you have a biblical worldview, you're problematic, you're dangerous, and you're extreme. Well, if it's extreme, if it's extreme to believe that it's a good thing to be married just to one woman, if it's extreme to believe that sex is meant for and at its best in the context of marriage between one man and one woman, if it's extreme to believe that love is not just telling someone what they want to hear, but actually what they need to hear, if it's extreme to raise your kids with a biblical worldview, if it's extreme to believe that life does begin at conception, that it is sacred, that it should be defended and protected, if it's extreme to believe that there is transcendent truth, that sin is real, and the only way to salvation is through Jesus, if that's all extreme, then be extreme. Be really extreme. The way to fight the moral revolution battle in our culture is just to hold on to yours. Because the, the pendulum swings so dramatically in, in our culture, so dramatically. I think the opposition's only going to intensify. From, the, from our culture, it's only going to intensify against a biblical worldview. However, I do think future generations might reject all of it, this moral revolution. I think future generations might see how bankrupt this stuff is. We already know. We already see it because of God's word. But I think future generations are going to swing back the other way because they see how bankrupt it is. And at that point, they're going to be searching for the truth and they're going to come looking for people who held on to the truth, who didn't capitulate, who didn't conform, who held on, who didn't back down. And they're going to say, tell me, tell me, why do you believe what you believe? And at that point, that's where we could see that crazy fruit. What an opportunity we have at that spot. The second place where I think the enemy is pressing his attack is attached to that one. And it's it's the battle of conformity. Remember when we heard the message of tolerance preached everywhere? Be tolerant, be tolerant, be tolerant, tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Have you noticed how that's gotten quiet lately? You know why? It's because tolerance was never the narrative. It was always conformity. 
Tolerance has always been a code word for conformity. You've got to conform to this cultural narrative. You've got to conform to this social justice movement. You've got to conform to this new feeling. You've got to conform to this new idea. And if you don't conform, you're going to be canceled. If you don't conform, there's going to be backlash. If you don't conform, you're going to be attacked. You've got to conform. That's been going on for a while, and it's only going to increase. You're facing that conformity battle every single day, and it's going to come tomorrow too, where you better conform or else. That's what's going to happen. I hear, I hear this, this all the time, and maybe you've heard this too. I hear this said to Christians and to the church, usually around hot-button topics or something that's controversial or, or a social justice movement issue. I'll hear this. Christians in the church, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. You heard that? You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Well, well here's, here's my take on that. The church has always been on the wrong side of history. Always has been. But history's always been on the wrong side of God, at least since Genesis 3. So I'll, I'll stay on God's side and, and, and be on the wrong side of history. So hold on to the truth. Hold on to God's word, especially when it doesn't fit whatever the current narrative is in culture. We cannot compromise what can't be compromised. And if we conform to anything outside of God's word, God's truth, God's justice, God's love, we've lost. We've picked which road we're going to go down. Third place where I think Satan is really pressing his attack is fear. Man, you see giants, you see fortified cities, you see all kinds of, all kinds of opposition. Since Christians with a biblical worldview weren't in the minority now, man, at times the, the opposition and the conflict, it can be intimidating. It can be. There's times where it's scary. There's times where I get concerned. There's times where I'm afraid. Absolutely. There's times I'm afraid that what's going to get said about me? What's going to come after me? We had... When the Roe v. Wade decision came out earlier this summer, the um, pregnancy center in our town that's only a, few, a mile or so away from our, our campus that we partner with, Molotov cocktail, burnt to the ground that night. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm worried. Like, I'm worried at times, for sure. It's easy to be scared. We don't have to worry about the opposition. What we have to do is what our fear will make us do. Because the temptation you're going to feel, the temptation I feel, is when we're scared, let's just blend in. Let's just blend in. I don't want to draw any attention to myself. I want to fly under the radar because I don't want to deal with the repercussions of truth. I don't want to deal with the repercussions of, of standing on God's word. I just Let me just blend in and fly under the radar so I don't get hit. The problem with that is blending in can be just as harmful as conforming. Because how can we blend in when all of us are called to stand out? Like you and I are called to stand out. Not in an obnoxious way. Again, don't be that guy. We got plenty of those people. We're supposed to stand out in a countercultural way where we look like Jesus. I'm not telling you anything new. Where people see the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives. They can't maybe articulate it, but man, there's something different about you. And if we're standing out in that way, in a countercultural way like Jesus did, then we can start to earn the right to be heard. Because this is something I think we're missing right now, is that we have to earn the right to be heard. Everybody does in our culture, especially Christians. We all have the right to speak. That's great. We all have the right to speak. But now everyone seems like they feel like they're entitled that everyone has to listen to you. Everyone has to hear me out. I can speak. I have the right to speak. Well, everyone has to listen to me. Nobody has to listen to you. Nobody has to hear you out. We have to earn the right to be heard. So one of the ways that we can stand out is how we actually talk to people. I would encourage you, I've told my church this multiple times. When you're speaking with people, Speak in a way that people love to listen to you and then listen in a way that people love to speak to you. I'll start earning you the right to be heard. 
Speak in a way that people love to listen to you. And then listen in a way that people love to speak to you. You'll start to earn the right to be heard. That's how we start standing out in the right way. But if we just blend in because we're afraid, if we try to isolate ourselves because of the fear we have with backlash, we're going to lose just like we would lose if we conform, just on a different angle. That's what's going to happen. So you're going to have to fight against your own fear and you're going to have to be honest about what are the things that you're afraid of. This is what I've had to learn over the last three years. God, here's what I'm really afraid of right now and take that to his feet and let him train your hands for war just like you did with David. And then the fourth, the final place where I think the enemy is really pressing his attack is with our kids. And they missed out on incredible fruit in Numbers 13. Fruit's at stake for us right now and so is our kids. Like if we, if we conform, and this is this generation, the next one, and the next one after that. If we conform, what chance does the next generation have? Like if, if we give in to our fear, how are our kids ever going to have any strength to fight the battles that they're going to face? And if we just give in to this moral revolution that's happening, and just like, just like Jim said, hey, we're, gonna, we're just, for the sake of unity, we're just going to adopt it, our kids are going to be the ones that suffer the most from the moral decay that's happening right in front of us right now. And if we back down, if we conform, if we let fear control us, we lose an entire generation. And the church is always one generation away from being a complete non-factor in a region of the world. The region of the world that's in jeopardy right now is the United States. We're one generation away. I'm th- I'm, my kids are 12, 10, and 8. The stuff that they have to deal with, man, as you get older, like you, you realize an age that you thought at one point was old, and you realize, no, it's not, that's not old at all, right? It's crazy how stuff just speeds up. Stuff that my kids are going through right now and they've got to face, I didn't have to face at all when I was a teenager or in my early 20s, not at all. The stuff that's happening in my context in Colorado with what's being pushed and um, brainwashed in the kids right now is terrifying. It's terrifying. And if you're in a, you, you might, that might be happening in, in wherever you live, but if it's not, Colorado's kind of on the front end of that spectrum, spectrum. It's coming to you too. Our kids are the ones in the crosshairs right now. We can't afford to lose an entire generation. The, the church in North America cannot afford that at all. Our kids are going to be the ones that pay the price. So it's time for us to actually stand up and stand firm. Not go looking for a fight, but just follow Jesus and fight the battles that he brings you to. Because either we're going to go down a road where we lose a generation and lose out on fruit that we've never seen before, maybe lose out on another great awakening, or we really could see the kingdom doubled. So I hope that just gives you something to think about. I hope that's some encouragement. Thank you again for joining us at the Real Life Theology Podcast. We will be back on Tuesday for another podcast session together.